You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hi guys, it's Rick Hadrava with another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. You know, when I read today's guest bio, I was both blown away by this young man's accomplishments and quickly reminded of the fact that I am definitely in the category of late bloomer. He's the president of Antioch Energy. He and his partner have developed a mid-continental resource play, which they sold in 2013 for $120 million. He, he's a decorated Air Force captain and veteran of Afghanistan, where he was embedded with the U.S. NATO headquarters in collaboration with the Afghan government. And he's managing partner at Cortado Ventures. I, I'm telling you, I'm scratching the surface with this intro today. Easily way, uh, maybe a better way to describe it is before 30, this guy was selected to the 40 under 40 outstanding achievement list three separate times. So I am very honored. You guys that have listened for any time, I don't like to do long intros. Um, I'm honored to have Nathaniel Harding with us today. And, and let's just welcome him to the show right now. Nathaniel, thanks so much for taking the time to be on our call. Well, thanks, Rick. And thanks for having me. And good thing you can't see me because I'm blushing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, well, I think you've got a lot to be proud of. And, and I, for one, as a former Oklahoma National Guard member, I really want to say thank you for your service, first and foremost. And let's start right there, Nathaniel. What pointed you in the direction of the military in the first place? Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, growing up, I always just saw the, the value of, of um, that service. And military service was, was an important value in my family. And, um, and so the, the opportunity that I had after graduating college was to go through officer training school. And I really, you know, I really jumped at it. That, that was something that I'd been working on for years. And I was fortunate to get into the, the, the class that I did um, shortly after graduating college and didn't, didn't look back. I went, went straight through um, and became a second lieutenant when I was 20, 26 years old. And it was a great experience. Fantastic. And I'm just curious, anything that you took away from your time in the military that has kind of launched this career, this career path that you've been on? I, I say um, with that experience, there's the diversity of, of people that I worked with, um, but also just the, the leadership training that, that the Air Force had was beyond any, any other experience I'd had. Um, and really just the expectations and uh, high standards for yourself and the people around you. Um, but I, there's still to this day, there are times that I'll, I'll look back at different things that I learned uh, as far as, you know, tactics or strategy um, or, you know, leadership, organizational leadership, things that I learned um, that, that I continue, something we call situational leadership, and that there is no kind of one-size-fits-all, but to, to recognize what kind of leadership the situation calls for, and that adaptability is, I think, really, really key in business. Absolutely. Is there an experience in that? It's an interesting concept that you bring up. Is there an experience that that you would be willing to share that kind of brings that encapsulates that point? Um, well, I think in, in in some just kind of uh, interactions with people that I work with, uh, understanding where they are in their professional development, 
understanding. Um, we actually had you know a young engineer that joined us as an intern, and then uh, you know really developed into an outstanding engineer um, in his own right, and and was with us for a number of years. And that journey of going from you know somebody who is really just learning the ropes to somebody who um, now needs needs less supervision to somebody who is now able to um, you know really like develop their own work products and, and guide their own schedule and and trying to recognize those different phases and trying to adapt um, I think is something that I, I picked up from the military training. It's a good point because I think so many times, at least in the past, you know, as as businesses, we've tried to put everybody in a box and training and development was all the same, one size fits all. And I I, I think it's a good point. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Well, so you, you did your military service, you came back home and just walk us through like did you immediately hit the ground going, okay, I'm ready to go? Did you take some time or how did this path develop for you? I was fortunate to be able to, uh, I, was, I was in the Air National Guard um, initially and then I was in the Air Force Reserves. So that whole time I was also still working uh, my civilian job. I was deployed in Afghanistan in 2012 and that was my, that, that year was my time away from home and that was my active duty time. And, um, but really, Coming back home, um, that was that coincided with the timing of when we sold sold our our, our assets in Western Oklahoma about a year after I got back home, and that was a, a bit of a turning point. Not, not a bit; it was the turning point to everything that came after, and because um, it really kind of closed the chapter on what we had done with the family business, and then what we did thereafter on starting our own business um, and where we are now. Okay, so let let's not brush over that. So you, you were you had a career self-employed before you you went to Afghanistan, and you say family business. So was that a business that your family was already in and you were a part of, or is it something you yeah, started? Uh, up? That's, okay, that's, that's a good good question. So the, uh, the the business that I after after working um, for a company in Denver shortly after graduating, um, I came back home in, to Oklahoma in '09. And then joined the family business, which was called Harding and Shelton, and then trans- transformed that business uh, into more of a technology-enabled, and you know, turned it from being kind of a traditional, uh, you know, vertical, marginal wells into the horizontal resource play, where essentially we were using horizontal technology and modernizing the company. And so, um, I took over operations of the business in 2010, and that's when we aggressively pursued um, our most active time in history. And became a company that was, you know, developing uh, the oil and gas assets with horizontal technology, and that put us into a position to where we were uh, a great acquisition target. And so that's when we sold in 2013, which allowed our founding generation, you know, my father, to retire, and then allowed me and my colleague to to then start our own uh, business that was self-funded. And that that was in 2014 when my partner Kevin Dunnington and I started our own business. So, so the next question that comes to my mind, Nathaniel, is what was the catalyst for you to make the decision that, yeah, I, I, I think we should sell, you know, because you talked about, your, was this something where the, the family members were ready to get out? Or was this something that you looked and said, I'm not sure I want to do this. We have an opportunity mm-hmm. to sell, allow us to kind of free ourselves up and go do something new. It was it was more of a kicking and screaming um, type environment as far as you know there was no um, desire to sell 
So going back to, uh, I think it's around 2011, I actually even before 2010 really looked at, you know, we need to either scale and, and bring in outside capital, um, or, you know, we should, we should look at, at selling because, you know, it, it seemed like a good market to do, to do that. So for two years, actually, I worked on trying to bring in outside capital and, you know, we, we, we hired somebody to do that full time and, and we had, you know, a lot of different conversations with different kinds of capital providers, uh, but nothing really you know made sense for us um both just financially and and um culturally um you know when you have a business that's that's still owned by the founder um it's it's difficult to kind of pivot from from being kind of a bootstrap company to being a um you know using private equity capital or uh, or just out, you know, institutional investment and so around the same time now about 2011 and 12 it was pretty clear that what we were doing was highly valued by the market so then it pivoted to, and I, I then sought somebody to help us put it out on the market, which was ended up being a two-year process. It's not like selling something on Craigslist. Um, <laughs> right. so, you know, it kicked off a two-year process, and we really, frankly, sold at a high point. You know, the, the, the metrics that we got was just about higher than anything else that had happened for years in that area, and it ended up being a, a greatest transformational situation for us. Uh, one of those times where you look back and say, man, really glad we did that at that time. Good timing for us. Better to be lucky than smart. But um, that was the, so. It, it what started off as kind of a different path ended up being apparent that the the best path was to sell. And, and it's great that you observe that because I think, unfortunately, a lot of times, especially family businesses, sometimes they miss that that writing on the wall, for lack of a better word, that window. Um, mm-hmm. Where, where it is time to sell. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. So once you got through that, did you immediately go into Antioch Energy or how did that transformation happen for you? Yeah. So in, um, we, we closed that transaction at the end of 13 and then started, we had already started working on starting our next company. So Kevin and I started our own company at the time was just called Harding and Shelton Exploration because we wanted to borrow the same name as the family business for, you know, legacy reasons and familiarity. Sure. So 2014 started Harding and Shelton Exploration, which was just funded by uh, me and Kevin. And, and we own some assets in Western Oklahoma that they were assets that were excluded from the sale to the third party. And so Kevin and I bought out these kind of what was left over um, and then pursued uh, actually an exploration project in Michigan. And, and frankly, it didn't work out, you know, as, as we know in oil and gas, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to bat a thousand. You'd be lucky to bat 500. You know, but we use a novel approach and a new technology that hadn't been used yet. We were we were successful in being the first to actually produce oil in the area that we were in, but not in commercial quantities. And so that was you know a, a lesson for us and a, and a moment for us to kind of decide what what was next. And so then we actually found an opportunity in our own backyard in eastern Oklahoma. And um, this was now around late 2015. Saw that the next opportunity for us was in our own backyard and found um, an opportunity to get that funded with private equity. And so went to go look, you know, fundraise with different partners and, and private equity and, and found Outfitter uh, out of Houston, Outfitter Energy Capital. And we then became Antioch Energy upon getting funded at the end of 2016. Okay. Well, congratulations. Wow. All of that and uh, still under 40, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I'm, I may be ahead of my time on gray hairs. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. But, you know, we got it, right? So it's very interesting 
But let's switch gears now because you are also into this Cortado Ventures. I want to make sure I say that right. And you're looking to back entrepreneurs who are driving innovation for Oklahoma's future um, with this initiative. Tell me a little bit, tell our audience a little bit what that is and why that's important to you. Sure. So from just a, a business standpoint, first and foremost, we just saw an opportunity where um, there is not, there's a lot of opportunity with startups happening and a lot of innovation um, in various uh, sectors that, that are all enabled by technology in different forms. But there's not enough um, capital, organized capital, investing in it. And so, you know, really just kind of seeing a supply and demand mismatch. Uh, in fact, PitchBook um, did a study late last year and found that Oklahoma is the fourth least funded area in the country. Um, for startups in this space. And so, yeah, for one, there's an opportunity, um, you know, to, to make money, frankly, on, on investing in, in tech startups in the area, um, early stage tech startups. Um, but also, we, we just see an environment where um, there's more startups happening now than ever. And so, we, we wanted to put together a venture capital fund that will, will help us, um, you know, evaluate hundreds of deals over the course of, you know, the fund and then invest in the, the top companies in the region. Interesting. You, you, I know this kind of goes in with your love of STEM and some of the work that you're doing out there, but you're specifically looking at certain types of industries, if I'm not, if I, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah, we, we look at sectors that really make a lot of sense um, in Oklahoma. And so some of them have more of a historic strength, others are, are emerging. So, for instance, um, energy tech, um, agriculture, weather, but also uh, fintech and insurtech are some of the ones that we look at. Aerospace is, is obviously a really strong area in Oklahoma. So it's important to us that um, that the technology that's being or that that's that's solving problems in the marketplace has a strong market and has you know a, a use case in Oklahoma, and it has frankly the the intended consequence of helping to develop other. Um, other verticals, other sectors in Oklahoma. You know, obviously, as as a, as a born and bred Okie, I have uh, you know, a motivation to see our economy thrive and and uh, you know diverse different sectors, um, and to have these future ready tech jobs. And so, you know, for for me, it was kind of a, a win win win. Uh, so, a couple questions. One, I, you know, I recently had a conversation with Sean Copeland about this, and you know, I, I think we've got an opportunity in Oklahoma to go out and get some of these workers that can work anywhere. You know, I think one of the things we've learned through this recent time is people are mobile and mm-hmm. we, we offer one heck of a quality of life comparison to some other parts of the country. And, and Sean's comment to me was, you know, the problem has been we are energy and we are aerospace and and new ventures don't always want to come here without the infrastructure. And it sounds like some of this work that you're doing is kind of that seed work to to change that a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. If you have, um, you know, we 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 want to see these these companies um, grow here. And um, there's obviously a good, it's a good idea to recruit companies that are already um, you know more developed and, and have you know that have a strong financial footing and have a lot of uh, employees. But it's also, I think, really important to grow our own companies here and um, and have them stay here because this is if they can get funded here, then um, then it makes a lot of sense for them to stay. So let, let's take advantage of this opportunity and and let's 
talk a little bit, um, just a couple of questions I have on the whole venture capital idea versus bootstrapping. You know, because a lot of people might listen to this and go, well, gosh, I'm going to reach out to Nathaniel. I've got a great idea. But but where's the where's that litmus test for you on what makes a good candidate for a venture capital type deal versus somebody that truly needs to bootstrap and get themselves to a certain position? Sure. So you know, we look at, at early stage, which does have a kind of a, a technical definition. But the way I look at it is, you know, when you're ready to, to take your idea from moonlighting and working in your garage to getting an office and hiring your first few people, you know, that's that's the earlier stage that we look at. That might even be pre-revenue. You know, you have a minimum Bible product. You have, you have a widget that works on some level. You might have beta users that are referring other customers. You know, that's obviously an early, uh, early sign of you're onto something. Um, all the way through, you know, Series A and, and think of, think of a Series A round as you, uh, you have paying customers. You have monthly recurring revenue that's growing. You're well past your, your beta product. Um, but now you're ready to hire your sales team and, and lease the second floor of your, of your office and, uh, and become more of a regional or more, uh, dominant player in your local market. And so that's what we look at, um, in kind of the pre-seed series then. So that's, that's the stage. And then for technology, um, we really want to see, you know, disruptive technology and people use that a lot. And that means that's a pretty big catch-all for a lot of things. But I like to break it down this way because if you do it right, then you're looking at the opportunity for tremendous growth. And that's what we want. We want ideas that have the potential for a, a 10x on the uh, capital invested. So an example I give is of a small business versus a venture idea is a small business might be somebody who sells sweaters and they could maybe make, you know, they could make a good living doing that maybe and they could franchise it and they could do all kinds of things to grow that, that business. But that's not what we're talking about. Our example would be somebody who invents synthetic wool, you know, and now every sweater seller in the world is going to buy their, you know, synthetic wool from this one person because they now have a monopoly on the intellectual property on how to make cheap synthetic wool. So that's a concrete example of the difference between, you know, a small business versus a, uh, a venture investment that has a disruptive technology and the potential for explosive growth. <clears throat> makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I, I just think it's interesting, but it sounds like there's a little proof of concept in there and you guys, you guys vet it out, but you also encourage, I, like I said, I go back to the STEM. I know you do a lot of stuff in education. You're a trustee on several things for these organizations. And, and it really sounds like education is something that you guys, and I'm looking at the, the list of your team members here and, and I'm familiar with with them, you've got some pretty bright minds. And so you really have an opportunity to to advocate for small business, whether regardless of the innovation or, or not, correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've have, uh, served on a number of boards that relate to economic development, education. So, and kind of the way I look at it is, if somebody brings me an idea that doesn't fit our focused criteria, um, that doesn't mean that, that I can't help. And so with the network that I have and as well as my partners, we can oftentimes, in fact, there's actually been a case where this has already happened, even though we're only three weeks old, where we uh, gave our, our frank feedback about why it didn't check all of our boxes, but then said, I, I then introduced this entrepreneur to a couple of resources um, that I thought could be helpful to him. 
And it turns out uh, it, it was very helpful. And he's now getting, he's now closing on his round um, that we're going to be a part of. So, so not only, you know, you could say that I was doing it altruistically because I was helping somebody who had a problem, but I was also doing it selfishly because them solving that problem made it an investable opportunity for us. And that's the great thing about the entrepreneurial community is it really is about connections. And even if, like you said, you know, maybe that situation wasn't the right fit for you guys, but you have a connection that you can make and that that can change somebody's trajectory in a, in a heartbeat. And so I really, I really love that. Here's, so Nathaniel, here's what I'm curious about. What's the future look like? What's got you excited 10 years down the road as you look out here and see what's in front of you? I guess, um, you know, I think in general, you're seeing a lot of people like question certain assumptions, right? So a lot of us couldn't have imagined the world now versus three months ago. So imagine you're 10 years from now. But um, in, in times like this, I think you see a lot of people and a lot of organizations that throw off assumptions about how things are supposed to work. And that's one of the reasons that we see opportunity because you now have a whole new playing field for innovation. You know, whereas before somebody would have said, well, you can't do that because that's not how it's done. Now they just throw up their hands and it's like, well, what do I know? <laughs> you know, what I mean, anything's possible now. <laughs> um, and so I think that you're going to see a lot of, um, as technology applications start, you know, pervade more and more sectors, you're going to see just a whole new generation of development. And now you have, you know, literally a new generation of entrepreneurs that that's how they grew up, where they don't even have those kind of baked in assumptions about how the world's supposed to work. You right. Know, um, all they know is kind of a tech enabled world. And I'm really excited about that. Just, just talking about just fun things like self-driving cars and, you know, what else are we going to have? And so I think we're going to see a lot of, I think, I think this decade in particular is going to be just, at the end of it's going to be totally unrecognizable from what we saw even just a few years ago. And I think you also have, I mean, I think of how Oklahoma's economy is being impacted and how we can, you know, no longer rely on kind of recruiting the next oil and gas company um, to, to help bolster our economy. And so you're seeing that play out. That's not unique for Oklahoma. That may be a unique example, but that kind of dynamic is happening throughout the world. And so you're seeing a lot of local and regional economies accelerate what may have been a 20-year plan to a two-year plan on how are we going to diversify and grow our economy more and more of a service economy with, with more and more just you know, delivery options that we see. And I think that's going to play out in an accelerated way. Uh, I totally agree with you. And, and you know, I, I joke, the older you get, the more you realize you really don't know anything. And I think part of that's because of all the change, right? Everything's being disrupted, which, which leads me to a question. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on, um, because we talk about young people who have known nothing but technology. But what, what, what do you think, what are your thoughts around, you know, a 50 or 60-year-old person you know, we talk about second half entrepreneurs uh, on this show. How do they engage? You know, let's say they're leaving corporate or they've, you know, been downsized or whatever, and they want to go try an entrepreneurial venture. Any advice or any experience that you've had that you could share your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, um, what, what's the saying? Like, youth, uh, youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that, um, that experience brings 
that there's just no substitute for. And a lot of times when you do have, you know, a younger entrepreneur, there's a lot of frustration over, you know, there's questions from, from investors on whether this person has the, the experience to know what it's like to, to grow a company. And so I think, um, you know, as I, as I kind of look at different entrepreneurs of all different uh, backgrounds, I think one thing that is universally true is that, you know, the, the experience of having a, a career, maybe you know, a few different careers in different areas, there's just no substitute for that. Um, no matter how many you know, books you read or, or, uh, or you know, self-help seminars you go to, there's just no, no substitute for um, the school of hard knocks, right? I was, I was going to say there's so, no, no substitute for, being, for failing a few times and in, in, uh, maybe a punch in the nose once in a while. That's right. And I think, and, and actually, I'm glad you phrased it that way because one of the things that people ask sometimes is like, well, what do you look for? If you're, if you're doing early stage investment, that means that a lot of what you are investing in is, is the entrepreneur. And so how do you evaluate that? Well, one of the things that we look for is grit and creativity. And actually goes a little bit back to kind of the, the military conversation earlier is that one of the things they teach you is you, you have to have a plan but what's going to happen is not going to be the plan. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. That's so, right. you know, and, and I think, but you, but you, you know, you have to have a plan, but just know that it's not going to play out. And then how are you going to react? And so that, that grit and creativity is what separates an entrepreneur from, from somebody who, you know, cogitates and, and thinks about, about what it might, might be like to do something. And, um, and, and, you don't, you can't measure that until you've actually seen how somebody has reacted to that. So I think that's a absolutely something something that is, that should be appreciated and valued in in that entrepreneur set. And I appreciate you you doing that and talking about that because you know the two things that I think of almost like a, a bell bar approach. If you're young and you have an idea, don't be afraid to go out and try it, right? Because the experience you're going to gain is going to be incredible. If you're if you're older and you've been in an environment where maybe you've not been an entrepreneur or maybe you have and just had failure, now is the greatest time, regardless of your age, I believe, um, with all the disruption comes so much opportunity. That's one of the things, the purpose of the show and the work we do is to encourage everybody you know, to, to just go out there and do that. That's where a lot of this great stuff's going to take shape. So, Nathaniel, man, I, I really really am grateful to have you on the show today. We're coming towards the end of our time, believe it or not. I, I feel like we could go much longer on this. I have a bunch of questions. But if somebody if somebody wants to learn more about your work or or maybe reach out to you, what's the best way for somebody to do that? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm very available, very present on uh, on social media. Um, you know, our website for Cortado Ventures is just cortado.ventures. Um, and, and from there, you can get, get a hold of, of um, anybody on our team. Um, but I'm also, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn. And I think those are great ways to connect. Um, and certainly, I mean, every day we're, we're meeting um, more people, both in the investor community and, and the entrepreneurship community. Very good. Well, any, any parting thoughts that you would like to, to share with our audience before we wrap up today? Well, it's probably because I am, am watching the series now. I'm, I'm, I'm behind the times and I'm watching Mad Men finally. And uh, there's a quote that kind of stuck with me where they say, this is America. Think of what you want to do and become the person who does that. And, uh, and that was from, you know, this, I, I think of that a lot. And that's, 
you know, it's kind of a quick way for me to be like, yeah, you know, this, this there's, there's balance opportunity and you're always just a network away from diving in to the next idea, you know, um, and, and having, having the life experience and knowing what it's like to learn something organically is how you can now use it to accelerate your next adventure. And, um, and I think just when, when I, when I look at it that way and have that kind of growth mindset, um, it gives me, you know, gives me encouragement and energy to, to go do the next thing. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate that because it gives me a whole lot of thought as well. Well, listen, we'll come to the end of the show. Hang, hang out with me for just a minute. We'll wrap things and then you and I can talk. But guys, you've been listening to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. You can be sure to get all our show notes, this, this information from today's show um, with the links to uh, the information Nathaniel talked about. You can do that by going to www.epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. That's epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. And be sure to shoot me an email at rick at epicsbiz.com. Let me know what you think. Any, any input, tell me you like the show, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, remember, we're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, we're only getting started.